Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Mitch Steven. Mitch has been a real estate investor for 25 plus years and has purchased over 2,000 houses. Today, he specializes in owner financing properties and has perfected a method of achieving cash flow without having to be a landlord and without having to rehab properties. So thank you so much for being on the show, Mitch. Hey, thank you for having me. This is a, always a pleasure to be around you. Thank you. Thank you. So please tell us a little bit about your background, both personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing. Um, I failed at everything else. Real estate investing was <laughs> the last thing. And if I didn't fail at that, I was just going to jump off a cliff. Um, I was always an entrepreneur. My word was always very important to me. So I always had good credit. But consequently, when I failed at businesses, it took me a long time to recover because I would go to work and I would pay everybody back <laughs> that had you know that I was involved with. They, if, if I owed anybody money, I wouldn't start the next business until. So sometimes that could cost me a year or a year and a half. You know, trying to just pay people back for believing in me. And um, uh, I always had good credit. I my businesses didn't do very well most of the time. So from eighteen graduation of high school till thirty four, I spent a lot of time trying to find myself. And then one day I accidentally screwed up and bought a condo that was seller financed to me because I had a bartending job at night just to make sure I could put gas in my gas tank and get to where I was going. And then every month I had the business of the month that I was trying to get off the ground with absolutely zero capital, which is very difficult. And um, I, someone seller financed me a condo and then I bought a little bit bigger one across the street and then one day someone said they want to buy them both from me and I made more money. And condos are not really the vehicle of choice for investing for <laughs> me. You know, I mean, they're really kind of horrible because of the maintenance fees and the potential of all that. But I got lucky. I hit a window I, and I looked up one day and I had more money in the bank than I made in a year and a half of working, you know, and I just thought to myself, maybe I need to look into this. <laughs> <laughs> And I started with the books and the tapes. And that was when I was 21, 22, 23. I really didn't. I read the books and tapes. I listened to Robert Allen, nothing down. I and I understood the concepts, but I didn't own those concepts in my heart. You could tell me all you wanted to, that you didn't need money to, real, to, to, to get into the real estate game. I, I heard it, but I didn't. And I would, I would say I believed it and I knew it and I would recite it, but I didn't own the concept in my mm -hmm. heart. Till one day I screwed up and bought a house with none of my own money on a credit card. And then the rest was history. I, I, once I owned the concept in my heart and said, oh, that's what the heck they're talking about. Right there. I just did it. Then I owned it. I went out and I bought the whole tent. There you go. Yeah, Robert Allen and Carlton Sheets were old. Uh, both those guys for from the 80s and 90s. Uh, I remember listening those to those. My, my dad had, yeah. Those were my first two moves. Nice. Yeah. So uh, when you started investing, you were in a condo and your other, where did you, when did you kind of figure out uh, a little bit later on what you liked as your best um, kind of vehicle throughout real estate of investing? 
Like, uh, well, you know, you go through all these phases, right? You mm -hmm. go through like you don't have money or you're a young investor. So you're buying crappy ass, the cheapest property you can find <laughs> yeah. because you, you, you equate that they don't cost as much. So I'll be able to get more of those or that I'll make more money with those. Or it's the only way I can get in mm -hmm. is to start with the cheapest stuff. You know, it's not true because it's the same theories work with million dollar properties. Um, I've never still to this day gone to million dollar properties, but I did figure out how to manipulate my middle income properties, um, houses mostly. And I did get off the bottom out of the war zones and the barrios and the, and the, and the stuff, but it took me a long time to get out of the barrios because, <laughs> you know, I thought that's where I belonged. You know, here I was the only white guy down there, you know? Um, and I, I was seller financing to these people because where I was buying houses, no one could get a loan and probably the house couldn't qualify. So I was, seller i was seller financing you know i started out flipping on credit cards i bought my first houses on credit cards but you got to remember in in 1996 in downtown san antonio texas in in the lesser parts of town you were buying houses for 10 12 8000 15000 right you know that's credit card crap you know like here, give me 10 on this card and five on this card. I'm buying the house. Give me 10 on this card. I'm going to remodel it. And you got, you know, 25,000 in this house, three bedroom, two bath, 1,100, 1,200 square foot place. And then you owner finance it for six, for, for 58,000, mm. you know, yeah. give me three or four or 5,000 down and then start making payments to me. Well, you couldn't owner finance it because your credit, when you're buying on credit cards, the debt window's too mm. short. You know, because I was only getting six months, 12 months, 18 months, 0% interest. So I was having to flip those houses. But with my money, I was going out and buying houses and then seller financing them. I was making 10% not only on my money, but I was making 10% on, on the spread. Mm -hmm. So it's like making 20% on your money. You know what I mean? You know, right. you're, you know what I mean? It's because when you bought it at 50 cents on the dollar and sold it for 100 cents on the dollar, you you know, the ROI jumps up a lot because of that created spread. And, uh, and I fell in love with seller financing because I was able to pick up, you know, way back then, even three, four, 5,000, a house times four houses was $20,000 for the month up front. And then my cash flow would go up 400 bucks or 350 or 400 bucks. And I'm talking 90, 1996 yeah. numbers now. It would go up 300 and 350 bucks every time I did that per house. And I was getting paid three or four thousand dollars to make it happen. So I, I realized that the potential of seller financing to my buyers was that I would get enough money to live on today and make my payments and my house payment. But I didn't even have to touch my cash flow, and it just kept racking up. It just kept racking up. I looked up one day. I have three hundred mortgages. I'm averaging five hundred dollars per house positive cash flow. I'm cash flowing a hundred and friggin' fifty thousand a month. Jeez. And I got paid a million dollars in down payments in today's numbers to make it happen. I mean, like, what else do you guys need? I, you know, <laughs> screw appreciation. Yeah, no, for sure. So <laughs> appreciation, you know, because with the, with the millions that I, I mean, you know, the, the, the money that I generate, I don't want to over sensationalize this, but with the money that I make, I would go buy self storage units and voila, all of a sudden, my depreciation problem has gone mm. away. I just wasn't buying my depreciation one house at a time and renting it out. I was sacrificing depreciation for a half a year, eight months. And then I, you know, 
taking all the money I made from 40 houses or whatever and buying a million and a half, $2 million storage facility. And bam, I'm in the depreciation game. Nice. Yeah. Everybody loves the depreciation that's in real estate. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how the current investment strategy works. So you're finding these properties. How do you find the properties? And can you give us a little overview of the strategy before you go into that? Yeah. Well, first of all, as we all know, um, life has become very competitive looking for distressed properties, but you have to live where the chaos is. You know, we are also coupled by the time that we're in right now. It's a boom time. Every city in the country is getting multiple offers the second something's listed and they're selling for over the, you know, I don't know of any place. I'm sure there is, but I don't know of any place that's going, eh, yeah, we're kind of flat. I don't know any place like that right now. Um, um, that's even worth talking about. I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? And so, um, we have to live where the chaos is. We have to live where there is no time to take advantage of this market. That's the only way you find properties is you've got to, they don't care or they don't have time, you know, or there's no one who cares, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's where you have to live to find deals. You have to live where that kind of chaos is. And it's usually death, divorce, um, transfer, I don't know, behind. And there's a lot of different signs, right? And so you start delving into that bucket where everyone's been filtered that have these problems. And then you start looking at them one at a time and seeing who's most likely to, you know, be a prime prospect to sell their house to you. Not, it's not rocket science. It's just pure ass work is what it is. People, you know, there was a day when I started, you know, when I started, you could get in the classifieds at eight in the morning by 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you'd have a perfectly good deal perfectly good deal any day of the week you wanted to and if you screwed up you'd have two and you weren't going to know <laughs> you didn't know how you're going to pay for them. you know um it's not that way anymore um it's a science practically it's about persistence it's about seven and eight and nine and ten and eleven touches it's about stickiness um it's about persistence um uh you know you just can't give up in today and i'm still buying about 100 houses a, a year um, I've been buying 100 houses a year for over two decades. Even in COVID, I bought 83, which was a miracle. I thought I was only going to end up around 40. But at the end of the year, 2020, I kind of jumped up. Um, so here's the thing. I establish an owner finance value based on the rents. I, I, can, I figure out my sales price based on the rents in the neighborhood. It's kind of like an NOI, but it's kind of not. Um, uh, because I don't take any expenses into account. You know, I just look at the rents. I got a formula and then we run it. And so this is what the formula is. If you guys got your pencil and paper, you'll pay attention. This is how you establish the OFV, the owner finance value. Because the trick is the owner finance value works best when you're selling a house and the PITIS on this house is the same as the rent on the same house across the street. You know, if it's a $1,500 rent across the street and someone can own this house for $1,500, what do you think is going to happen? Hmm. Yeah. Right? The separator being, do you have a down payment and do I like you? Because I got to agree to trust you to make me payments for 30 years. Okay. So, but that's my game. I'm trying. So I want to use a rent to establish a, 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 a sale price so that when it's all said and done, this guy's PITIS payment is the same as he was paying for rent, give or take a few bucks. And people will always pay 100, 150 more to own in their mind psychologically, it doesn't offend them. 
I don't like to stress people over what they're used to paying because I want to, it to be a smooth life for them. I don't want to take people's houses. I'm not in the business of jacking people's mm -hmm. houses out from under them. You know what I mean? I have yeah. to take houses back in self-defense sometimes, but I, I don't go in with that plan. I think it's a crappy ass plan. You know, you'll get enough of them back even if you don't want any, you know? <laughs> um, uh, so here's the formula. You take the rent, and I'm just going to use some numbers I know. So if the rent's a thousand, you minus the property, the monthly property taxes and the monthly insurance. So let's say the property taxes are 100 a month and insurance is 50, just for easy math. So a thousand minus 150 leaves 850. So out of that thousand dollars rent that this guy has, that's all that's available for he and I to talk about because there has to be insurance on the place and they have to pay the property taxes. So there's only 850 left over for him to make a principal interest taxes payment, right? And insurance. So there's 850. Now you could take the 850 and you could go to your mortgage calculator and you could plug the 850 in as the monthly payment. You could plug 30 years in as the um, as the term, and you could plug 10% in as the interest rate, and we could solve for the balance and we could figure out that it's $79,970 or $790, whatever it is, which to me is $98,000. I always round off and I always round in my favor. We're talking about sales price, so I round it up. Nine, you know, $97,750, that's $98,000. It's what he can afford to finance at 30 years at 10% to have an 850 P&I payment, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what he can afford to finance. So what does that make the price? Well, I don't accept less than 10% down but I don't want to settle for my minimum all the time. So I add 12% on top and that's the price. And if you add 12% on top of 98,000, it comes out to a number that's really close to 110,000. And that's my price. And I don't give a crap what the MIA appraiser says, what the BPO says, what the CMA says. I don't give a crap about what the comps say because these people cannot qualify for a loan. Their choice is, do I want to pay a thousand rent for the rest of my life, which won't be a thousand rent, right? Because what will the rent be next year? And the year after that, the rent's going to go up, right? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to opt into a fixed thousand dollar payment pretty much given or take a few little variation on taxes and insurance over the mm -hmm. years? Do I want to pay a thousand a month to rent or do I want to own this son of a gun and get all the benefits of home ownership of, you know, appreciation, um, stability, you know, all the, all, you know, pride, all that comes with it. And, and not a hundred percent of renters want to own a house, but can we just agree that a very large portion of that number would, whether it's 83% or 92% or 76%, it's more renters than you'll ever find houses for personally um did you know that a hundred percent of statistics were made up on the spot <laughs> i've heard that before <laughs> uh, so or or you could plug that eight you know the 850 payment we're talking about you could plug it into a mortgage calculator or you could just multiply 850 times 115 and you'll be really close and that's what i do because i've operated my whole life with a with a $2 calculator that I got from the dollar store, which is the most confusing part of this whole conversation. <laughs> you know, I hold it up to the sun, it gets on there, I take 850 and I put 115, you know, and that's what the finance amount is. And then I add 12% and that's the price. Easy, 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 easy. You know, the trick is you just gotta make sure that you're not wrong on what the rents are for a three, two in that neighborhood. 
or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and that's pretty easy to do. And so now that I've established the price, I'm selling this house for 110. I want no less than 10% down. I'm going to get 12,000 down. I'm going to carry 98,000 for 30 years at 10%. His PITA payment is going to be right around a thousand bucks. Yeah. And then if I think I can push it $35 a month, I'll charge PITIS servicing fee because I'm allowed to put the servicing fee on his side of the closing. So isn't that nice? I get to form all these notes over to a servicing company and my buyer's paying the fee. Interesting. Nice. If that's the only thing you pick up out of this and you haven't been, you haven't been letting, you haven't been charging your buyer for a servicing fee. I mean, that could be worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars over a career. Hmm. Um, So I find a house. I mean, I go to a house, I pull up in front of it and I, I, in order to buy a house, I have to establish what I'm going to sell it for, or else I'm just peeing in the wind. I mean, I have no, I'm just yeah. guessing. So I go up there, I figure out what the rents are real quick. I do this formula. I figure out what my owner finance value is. And by the way, I probably coined the OFV. There's the, the ARV, the MO, the, the, the Mayo, the, you know, the, the MAO. There has never been an OFV out there until I showed up. 15 years ago. And I'm saying, because, it, but remember the OFV is a value unto itself is a very powerful number, but it only means something to someone who cannot get a loan. Try to explain why you're selling, you know, the, the houses during the recession in the lesser neighborhoods are going for 27,000. There's 40 comps in the neighborhood that clearly say these houses are worth 27,000. And then I run the rents and, and the rents are a thousand bucks a month and I'm selling it for 50, you know, or, or I mean the rents are um, six or six fifty a month. And I put my house up for 59. I'm a hundred percent over the market and I sell it in four days. Hmm. Blows the banker's mind, blows the realtor's mind. They think you're really screwing them. I said, no, I'm not screwing them. The landlord's screwing them. They don't give them shit. Oh, excuse yeah. me. They don't give them crap. You know what I mean? Is crap better than shit? I'm not really sure. It's all, <laughs> uh, it's all fine within our po- podcast language here. Well, um, I, you know, I get enthusiastic sometimes and I get kind of wound up. So so here, I, I, the first thing I do is I, I run that formula. I find out what my OFV is. Then I go in and I shoot for to buy my properties at 50 cents on, on the OFV. Mm-hmm. You know, so if it's a $100,000 OFV, I'm trying, I'm trying to get it for 50. You know why I pick 50%? Because... I can divide by two like a mofo. I mean, I'm a dividing by two mother. I can do it like that. And so I'm shooting for that. I really will go up to about 65%. But when we're figuring what's 65% of most numbers, I have to get out that $2 calculator I got from the dollar store. And, 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 I, and, if I, and that's the most I will borrow from my private lenders is 65% of the OFV. If I want to buy a house for 70% of the OFV, I will take that 5% out of my pocket. I never let my private lenders in over 65%, and I average only borrowing 58% from them in the first lien position. So on a $100,000 house, I average borrowing $58,000 and giving my private lender a first lien on $58,000 in that property. One lender, one property, one borrower, mm. I either pay and I look my lender right in the eye every time, my private people. This note is um, wrappable, agreed. It's collateral only, it's non-recourse, and it's um, 
you know, six or seven or eight percent payable uh, annual interest, payable monthly, you know, principal interest. I always do 15 year AMS. And then depending on what rate I'm going to give, it's a 15 year fully amortized for for nine percent. A 15 year with a 10, 10 year balloon, you know, eight percent. 15 year with a seven year balloon, seven percent. 15 year with a five year balloon, six percent. Okay, so fully amortizing note, maybe with balloons. If, you know, the longer you give me the money for it, the more I'm willing to pay you for it. Because I'd really rather just get 15 year loans and set it and forget it. Okay. It's so, wrappable. So, and it's not recourse. And, and, and um, I, I look my private lender in the eye every time and say, I want you to understand me. First of all, I want you to understand how I arrived at this value, the OFB, and I show them the formula. Do you agree that renters would rather pay the same amount and get them to agree because if they don't agree to that, then the whole deal is bullshit. Yeah. You know, they're, you're not going to sell them on it. But most people, 99.9% go, yeah, most renters would. I mean, I would if I was a renter, you know? Mm. And then I look them right now and says, you agree on that? You agree on what I, the value? Because I never say that this is the value of the house. I say, this is the owner finance value. And I'm very clear mm -hmm. about it because we could get into argument about values. Mm -hmm. Well, that son of a gun said the value was this. And I went down there and it was only half of that. You know, well, no, that's a different value. Yeah. That's my comps. And so I'm very clear on that. And then I look them in the eye and I say, look, then you got to understand one last thing if we're going to work together. I have the right to pay as agreed or walk my position over in this property any day of the week I want, anytime I want to. So if you don't like that collateral for the amount of money you're loaning me, don't do this deal. You have to, you have to be happy if you get that collateral. Here's a house I, I want 58,000, it's worth 100 grand. If I walk my ownership papers over to you and hand you that $100,000 house, are you okay? And if the answer is yes, we can do business. And if you're not okay, we're not. Now, let me be clear. I have never been foreclosed on. I have never filed bankruptcy. I've never filed chapter 13 or seven or anything else. I've never given a property back to any investor ever in my career, but I have that right. And I'm paying above market right rates. You know, banks are paying 1%. I'm paying mm -hmm. five and six and seven and eight times what you're, you're offered at your bank. And, and, and for that, you share in the downside risk, which is if something catastrophic happens that little old Mitch Steven has nothing to do with, and could not stop if he wanted to, then I don't get penalized. I just have to walk over my position to you and go, who would have guessed? Hmm. This is how I sleep at night, owing $26 million to private lenders. If I have a note on that house, then I'll walk my note down to you. If I have the deed to that house, then I'll walk the deed. Here's my promise. If I ever can't pay, I will walk my position over to you. You will not have to sue me or take me to court or foreclosure. You're either going to get paid or I'll walk it to you. So far in 27 years in over 2,000 houses with private loans, I've never given a property back to any private lender or anybody for that matter, because the day I do that is the day they're going to quit loaning me money because doctors and lawyers and 83-year-old widows don't know what, don't want to deal with a house. Mm -hmm. They're either ill-equipped or they just don't want to they will figure it out if you if you placed it in their lap they will figure it out their friend will come over their kid will come over and go oh wow this is no problem mom it's worth 100 grand just call the realtor put it up you'll pay her you know six thousand dollars and you'll get back your 60 and you'll have twenty five thousand left over in your pocket you know someone will figure it out for them but you know 
so I'm borrowing 50, so say like, so on that 90, on $110,000 house, I pick up 12,000 down at 98,000. I got uh, 850 coming in and 350 going out. Cause you know, and so I'm keeping a $500 a month positive cash flow of which I am not a landlord. When the air conditioner breaks, it's not my air conditioner. So when that mortgage payment comes to me, and that's what it is, I'm the bank. When that mortgage company comes to me, there is little to no reason for it to ever go out again. When a landlord gets a check, God only knows what the next reason could be that you have to send the money out. You know, I've collected rent for months and months and months, and apparently it wasn't even my money. It was the freaking AC guys, because when the AC broke and it was 3,500 bucks to replace it all, I had to give all my damn money that I thought was mine to him. Well, that doesn't happen when you're seller financing. So it's a very dependable, very durable, because the mindset of an of a owner inside your house is different. Tenants, and I know that you're in the tenant business, but we'll put it in my vernacular. And I'm not slamming it because a lot of millions of dollars have been made from rent houses and rent properties and apartments. I get it. But there's another side of a coin, and this is my argument. Mm -hmm. You know, tenants move in, tear down, and move out. Owners move in, fix up, and stay. You yeah. know, and when the money comes short of foreclosure, there's no reason I ever have to give it back. Toilet, hot water, heater, roof. It's not mine. You know, so I do lose depreciation. I do lose appreciation. But dude, I'm buying a house for 58,000 and selling it for 110 in one in four, nine days. You know what I mean? Like how much appreciation do you apartment guys want? So you want to annualize that? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Uh, so what I had a question with is how are you structuring the deal? So how does that, I mean, I imagine it's not too difficult for finding these buyers that I would think is kind of an easy part of it, but uh, is it, how, like, how is it structured? So you have a, you're, you have a mortgage in your company name and where is that 65% that you were loaning from a private lender? How is that? Hey, so, all structured? So I, I, let's say it's hundred thousand our house and I borrow 50,000 from you. And so you got a first lien on this house, but you've, you've agreed that the money you loaned me is wrappable. Yeah. So when I okay. sell, I sell on a wraparound mortgage, which means the guy that gives me 10,000 down is making the 850 payment to me. I'm taking the 850 that he's given me and I'm sending 350 to you. His mortgage wraps around my mortgage to you. That's why they call it a wraparound mortgage. Mm. It's kind of his mortgage is wrapped around mine. And you have to, you have to, you have to get an attorney to devise or draw up a wraparound mortgage because a wraparound mortgage has to disclose to my buyer that he has a huge risk. I owe you money. And if I don't pay you, we're all screwed. He's <laughs> yeah. screwed. Everybody's screwed. And they sign it every day because they don't have a choice. And, you know, in, and that's why there's a lot of bit laws been passed like Dodd-Frank and stuff, because a lot of people did this wrong or they took the money and they didn't make the payment to you. Mm -hmm. And then the poor guy who put up $20,000 down and put in a new pool for $80,000 got screwed out of a house. You know, that's why there's these Dodd-Frank laws and stuff now uh, because of some bad apples, you know, but I've never, I've never, I don't let my people fail because of something I did. Uh, I also advise you, if I, for ever, whatever reason, don't pay you, just go knock on the door and tell those people to send that $90,000 payment directly to you. And now you're not collecting on 50 from me anymore at 8%. You're collecting on a 90 from the guy in the house at 10% for many, 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 many years. You're in a better position. But why in the hell would that ever happen? Yeah.
you know, so, yeah, yeah, so it's the rap. Because I know you're going through all those, the list of non-recourse and all those kind of things. It's the rap that makes this whole, uh, makes everything possible. Is That's why I need yeah. 26 million yeah. or in counting. Because when I get out, uh, you know, if I, when I, when I buy a house for 50, 60, 70, 80, $120,000, it, it's out, that private lender's money is out for 15 years mm -hmm. or seven years. I mean, it's not like flipping a house where you put out 150 and in 60, 70, 80, 90 days, you get it all back and you start over again. My, the money I get stays out for a long time, but the cash resulting from that transaction comes for a long time too. Imagine that you're a wholesaler. What's the average wholesale profit on a little house? I've been asking around the country. Some people say 10,000, some people say 8,000, but it just say, let's just say it's 8,000. Let's say it's 10,000 bucks. I am making the equivalent of a wholesale profit mm -hmm. on every one of my houses called a down payment. Right. I don't call it a wholesale fee or assignment fee. I, it's a down payment and they're equal. But I still have a $500 a month positive cash flow for 30 friggin' years. That's a hundred. That's 180,000 I'm still owed. Actually, it's more than that because my payment could only last for 15 years. So I got $500 a month coming in for 180 months. And then I got the whole 850 coming in for the remaining 50, 180 months for the 30 years. So it's like $220,000 I'm owed every time I do a transaction and I'm making the equivalent of what a wholesale fee is. So if you're a wholesaler out there and you haven't mastered the art of raising private money, you're killing yourself at $220,000 a transaction. That's why you're not rich. When I say I'm a multi, 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 multi millionaire on and on and on, yeah, I am because I do 100 deals a year. About 70 of them, I sell or finance, about 70%. And every time I sell or finance a house, I'm owed 200 plus thousand dollars in the future. And it just keeps racking yeah. up into my financial um, uh, financial statement. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, if you get $10,000 from eight houses a month, which is what it takes to do 100 houses a year, and you just say the average down payment is 10,000, well, that's 80,000 a month. How much do you guys need to live on to support your family and <laughs> buy your car? I mean, geez, tell me. I mean, is I mean, I can't even spend all the down payment money. You know, of course, now we got to pay taxes. And in the tax bracket, I mean, you can take 40% off of it pretty soon or 39, you know, but it's still a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And but, but I'm not even touching my cash flow for anything except to buy more assets because I can't spend the down payments. Right. Yeah. But the thing is with the gain depreciation, like you were saying before, that's the third or the last part of it is where you're buying additional assets that you can now offset your income because of the depreciation. Well, it's, the story is a little bigger than that because what you got is wholesaling, one-time cash. Mm -hmm. Flipping, one-time cash. You know, get one check from that house, it's done. Maybe the check's big, but it's over. Okay. Temporary cash. That's what I do. I get some money up front. I get a lot of money coming in, but the average note in America only lasts seven and a half years. Yeah. Maybe at the economic echelon that I deal in, maybe the notes last 10 because my guys are not going to get refinanced. They're okay. inherently flawed or they wouldn't be paying 10% to me in the first place. Yeah. Okay. But they do sell their houses. They put them on the market with a realtor and then the realtor finds a buyer and I'm getting a call for a payoff. So so my strategy, the seller finance strategy, is, is some cash now and temporary cash coming in, okay, temporary, because that note's going to expire one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So you have to take the money from your one-time cash events 
and the money from your temporary cash events. And you have to buy into a forever strategy so you can work yourself, work your ass out of a job. You got to buy apartment complexes, something that's forever. I chose boat and mini storages around the Mm -hmm. lake where I live or boat. You know, I like being the tenant for that because it's so less um, stressful. Yeah, Yeah, because because this is not someone's home. You know, when you try to move someone out of their home, this could be big, big ball of stress. Get a lot of fight, get a lot of resistance. It could be really mentally stressful because when you you buy that that the 80 year old lady, it, you know, she's not able to pay her rent. You're going to put an 80 year old lady out on the street. Really? I mean, there's some conflicts now for some people. It's not an issue for other people like me. I struggle with that. You know, like I got to, I got to help. I got to do something. I can, I got to get her out, but I can't put her on the street. Yeah. What do I do <laughs> now? I'm helping her find government programs. And, you know, you know, I never have that problem in, in storage. You know, it, it's a guy's boat that's in there. Screw <laughs> the boat. He doesn't, if he can't make the payment on his storage, he didn't deserve a boat. You know, um, and plus I could do it at tiny increments. I could add 10 units. I could add 10, 10 by 10s with a little bit of money. And next month or next quarter, when I have a little more, I can add an, another two. I, I built myself up from 13 units in, my, in 1991 to 1,300 units that now only $100 a month. That's 130000 a month. Okay. Yeah. Now I don't get to keep it all. I got property taxes. I got personal taxes. I got utility bills and insurance and you got to fix things and mow the grass and that shit. But I get to keep a crap load of it. I mean, a crap load. And there's another income stream right there that if that's all I had, I would not need to work. Hmm. You know, people go, why do you work? This is an interesting question. <laughs> I just led myself to it. You don't mind if I just do this whole interview by myself. Do you? <laughs> You're doing great. Well, you know, I, why do you work? I was retired for a while, but let's just say this. Um, highly energetic men, heaven forbid, heaven forbid they be good looking, um, with a ton of money and nothing but idle time, find very aggressive demons. So maybe you should stay busy, you know? And... Because the luster wears off of the money, and I know some people would not believe that, but after a point, you understand it, I'm sure. It can't be about the money anymore. There has to be a higher reason. Mm -hmm. So why I do this is what turns me on, and I don't know why, but I kind of know why, is when people, I can help and be part of someone's life or program or part of the story where they went from having a job to firing their boss, I that just tickles me to death. I don't know why it is. Dave Ramsey rings the bell when people get debt free. Dave Ramsey would hate me. I bought my first hundred houses on credit cards. He, he I could blow his mind out of the water. Um, I get excited. We ring the bell at my office when someone says, "Hey, I just told my boss to shove it yesterday." You know, I I don't know, but, but the reason why. I think it excites me. Well, one of the reasons it excites me is because the day that you don't have to have a job because you have $3,500 a month coming in from someplace else or $4,500 or whatever that nut is. And I'm not talking about get rich stuff. Just get financially independent at the most modest level so that your basic needs are met every day so that you, and here it is, have 2,600 hours a year 
that you used to give to the job, you have it for yourself now and your family so you can figure out who the hell you're supposed to be. And if being wealthy is in the cards for you, it will probably happen after you get that little $3,500, $4,500 a month coming in so you can tell your boss to take a hike. You know, buy that 26, put in the effort to get that 2,600 hours a year into your court where you say what happens with it, because that's when you're going to become who you're supposed to be. That's when you can spend the time to be an expert among experts on whatever it is you want to be an expert at and whatever your passion is. And that's probably if, if being wealthy is in the cards for you, that's when it'll happen. Interesting. Okay. For sure. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Getting, that. getting out of your nine to five is, uh, is definitely most people's number one goal. So it's, uh, that's fantastic. Well, and you know, what's cool about that is you people, you go in this real estate and you're like, I need to make 50,000 on this deal. I'm trying to make 20. No, listen, let's just make it real simple. You need $5,000 a month to live. Cause that's what your job pays you. That's all we're trying to do is get 5,000 a month. Come in. Everything just shrinks. It's all seems stupid. Now you live in the United States of America. The goal is to get $5,000 of your own money coming in from your own resources, from your own brain. It's, it's almost ridiculous. You live in the most blessed place you could ever live and $5,000 ain't Jack. So Quit thinking about millions. Let's just get the first step done. You need 5,000 to come in. It's a tiny, tiny goal, which I can say that now, but when I needed 3,500 a month to come in, I wasn't sure I could do it and scared the living hell out of me. But it happened in six months when I quit worrying about big crap and all, all the corporations. I just, you know, when I start just focusing on, okay, there's another 300 a month coming in. Here's 400 a month coming in. I'm going to buy this and there's 300. Okay, I got my 3,500. See you later, boss. And then I bought 45 houses in one year. Mm. Then it was awesome. Nice. So uh, just a couple of things. Uh, I had a final questions here in regards to the strategy. Um, what, what percentage do you think of people actually refinance these, these loans, you out of them? Other than selling, obviously they sell it, you're out of it, but not many. Not many. Not many. Not many. It's usually they sell the house. They, they want a bigger house. Selling. They want to move to another part of town. They got transferred. The, um, you know, they need to move closer to a new job they got. I don't know all the reasons. They need to move closer to uh, 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 Awella, you know, the grandmother, because they're having a baby now. You know, they put the house up on the market, the realtor lists it, and a new buyer comes along with a new loan, and all of a sudden I'm getting a call for a payoff. That's 95% of it. Okay. All right. And uh, how is... Uh... With this strategy, how has this changed during COVID? Obviously, you said you did 83 homes in 2020. How has this changed with, uh, with COVID like with, and with the market? Nine days on, I used to be nine days on the market. And now I'm four days on the market. <laughs> and I don't even put signs out anymore. I don't even put a sign in the front yard. I sell my houses in four days. I have no signs whatsoever. And how is that done? Facebook Marketplace. I got 8,000 people that are interested in seller finance homes that I use bandit signs. To, mm -hmm. to capture their cell phone numbers, you know, pre-recorded how to how to get a owner finance home or own, home dueño a dueño if you're using your Spanish and trying to capture that <laughs> market. And I'm capturing all their cell phone numbers and I send them text messages that say, you want to see my houses, go over to my Facebook page. You know, it's free, free for me, free for you. And I got 8,000 people following me on my Facebook page. And whenever I have a new house for sale, I just send out a text, two cents per person right between the eyes. They already raised their hand and said they're interested mm -hmm. in my product. I send them a text, which has a 96% open rate. And it has a little link that says, you know, that says go over to my Facebook page and look at the new house I got. Is this the one you want? Mm. Four days. I got multiple contracts. 
Fantastic. That's a great system you have too with capturing the phone numbers and then also with the leasing. I mean, it pretty much uh, minimizes, if not eliminates any of your marketing expenses. Yeah, I just, I have, you know, someone that answers that phone. Yeah, of course. Houses. I got a 22 year old kid that used to sell mobile homes. I said, how would you like to get off this mobile home lot and be able to roam around and be free and do what you want as long as you sell my houses? He says, well, what's it look like? I said, come over to my office. Let me show you. I took him out one day. He makes $150,000 a year now. Nice. And I don't worry about my houses. And he's, he's happy, 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 happy camper. So what are uh, some common mistakes, like you said before, about people wanting all this money up front, like the 50000 deal here or 20000 here, where they should be focusing just on their monthly income? What other mistakes you see or common mistakes you see other real estate investors make? The biggest one ever, when it comes, they, they need funding. They need places to fund. They're giving up half their deals to partners who have the money, which is a big chunk. It's way more than borrowing money. I mean, if you borrow money at 15%, it's cheaper than 50% of your profit. You know what I mean? In most cases. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest, biggest mistake they make is they think they can't go find private lenders because it's about them. No one gives a crap about you. Charles Manson should be able to get the loans I get from prison after murdering people because I go out and say, hey, warden, I need 50,000. Warden says, screw you, Mitch, you're a mass murderer and you're in jail. I said, look, Warden, give me 50,000. If I don't pay you back, you can have my $120,000 house. And the warden thinks for a minute and says, you got a deal. I hope you don't pay me. And I don't think you're gonna. So here's the 50. <laughs> when can I get my house? You know, it's not about you. No one gives a crap about you. It's about the deal. And you get that through your head and it doesn't matter. You're, you know, too short, too tall, too short, too fat. Doesn't, no one gives a crap. Yeah. What they want to know is what am I investing in? And if you don't pay me, what happens? And if that, what happens is better than if they get paid, then they got a deal. Yeah. So get on with it. If the only thing you do this year is master the art of raising private money, I have a course. I don't, you know, buy it or don't buy it. It doesn't matter, but it's, it's, it's a thousand bucks called private money changes everything. And when you learn to raise private money, it's, it's not a very thick course. It's very light. It's, it, 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 it's not heavy. It's not bulky. It's, you might even get it and go, wow, what did I pay for? The problem, the thing is, it's very rich. It's very rich. Everything in it is right on target and it's all you need to know. And if you do it in a certain order and you get in a certain mindset and you present in a certain way, people are going to say yes to you. I'm just going to show you how to get a yes. You know, you're not going to get a yes every time, you know, figure you're going to have to go to through 20 to get one. Okay. Just figure that. Now the question is, are you going to go through 20? The answer for most people is no. And that's why it won't work. Now, I think if you commit to go to talk to 20 people under my those teachings, I think you're going to have a higher success rate for that. But I always like to set the, you know, the idea. I like to be conservative so people don't get disappointed or, or think it's not working. I think you'll get three or four out of 20 if you pitch it the way I want. And it may be the only course in the planet. And I don't know for sure, but I'm I'm probably pretty sure it's the only course that teaches you how to raise private money with seller financing as the backdrop. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Most people are raising private money. I'm going to buy an apartment complex. This is how it works. Or I'm going to flip a house. house. Yeah. How it works. yeah. This is, this is how you talk to people about giving, getting them to give you their money when your strategy is seller financing. Hmm. 
It may be the only one out there. I'm probably, I'm, I wouldn't doubt if it was. It's a big world out there and it's hard to say that, but I probably am. So Mitch, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? Go to 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com. Uh, beyond that, you could go to 1000houses.com forward slash YouTube. I'm putting up a 10 minute segment every working day for the next year and it's free. And I pick a subject, adverse possession, a foreclosure, um, how to talk to private lenders. I pick, I pick a topic. I talk for 10 minutes on it, more or less. And, and I'm just spilling my guts about every single topic I can think about. And believe me, it's 240 topics I got to come up with. So there's like nothing left that I haven't talked about or not going to talk about um, by the time I get done. It's actually pretty painful. It's hard work. Uh, <laughs> I wish I didn't do it, but I already committed and I don't quit. So, you know, I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to finish a year and damn it, I'm going to finish whether <laughs> if I'm dead. So go to 1000houses.com YouTube or I don't know if you go to 1000houses.com, it's all over there. Yeah. You'll be so sick of me and all my stuff. You won't even, you know, you won't need another address. Yeah, I was checking it out. So all the links to all of uh, Mitch's social and then all of the courses, I think he has two courses and then his uh, mentoring and stuff like that is all on that website. So make sure to check them out. And uh, thank you so much for coming on today, Mitch. Yeah, there's a ton of free stuff over there. People chastise me, say you give away too much. I said, you know, the people that get into it, they're going to figure out. You're either going to pay in mistakes or you're going to pay a coach. Pick which way you want to do it. Yeah. Making mistakes could be a lot more expensive and a lot more anxiety. And you might quit a business that you didn't need to quit because you just didn't, it didn't happen fast enough. I, I suggest you get a coach, but either way, you're going to pay. So it'd be easier with a coach. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? The, yeah. the School of Hard Knocks is an expensive graduation party, man. Really, really hard. <laughs> So thank you so much for coming on today, Mitch. I will put all those links to show notes and uh, looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Man, I really appreciate you, Charles. And uh, you do a good service out here and uh, it really changes a lot of lives. I think, I hope people are watching. I hope they got something out of this. Everything you watch, you get a little bit out of. I've been yes. doing it for 27 years. I get things out of conversations all the time. That's why I do a podcast and have interviewed 500 people. Cause every time I interview somebody, they're pretty damn smart. Like when I, you know, interview you or whatever, I mean, I'm going to learn something about the apartment, you know, or syndication or something I didn't know about. And you just keep getting better and better and better and smarter all the time. You know, that's what it's all about. You, you should never stop learning ever. It's great learning new strategies within real estate. I always, I always love bringing on and talking to new people that have a different way of uh, kind of uh, making their own niche within real estate investing. Yeah. Well, the, that's the deal. Don't get caught up in the shiny object thing. Mm. You know, but when you're starting out, look at all the different, you know, go to all the free stuff, get on the internet, take everything free on, you know, subject to and seller financing strategy and syndication and apartments and multifamily and whatever. And then when you find yourself gravitating towards one, then put everything else aside, stay on the internet and just keep drilling down now on this strategy. And then when you're sure it's for you and that you're in the right market for that strategy and that's what you want to do, that's when you hire a coach. And then you find a coach who has been doing that only for a long, long time and is still doing it now, probably. You know what I mean? And that's your guy. Just make sure that the coach that you pick is the kind of person that you want to be on and off the field because you can't separate the two. Mm -hmm. the, 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 Either, either one's going to show up somewhere on the other side. So if, if, if the person's really good at investing, but 
you don't like the way they're living, that ain't your coach. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard that before, but that makes perfect sense because obviously if they're training you in uh, what you're working on. So, well, interesting. Thank you very much, Mitch. And uh, I'll talk to you soon and have a great rest of your week. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Bye now. Bye. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.